You want the other person to be okay with the consequences. Exactly. I want them to be okay with the boundary. And then if they're not okay with the boundary, I want them to be okay with the consequences. It's like I need their help in holding it. Welcome to episode 44 of The Recovery Show. We're continuing to record our episodes live. If you're online now, you will hear the raw, unedited form of this episode. And we'll be able to interact with us in the chat room. Check the website for the time of the next recording and join us then. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Do you struggle with setting boundaries? Does it feel like you're trying to control someone else when you set a boundary? Does your loved one accuse you of trying to control them? Do you have trouble following through with appropriate consequences when your boundaries are violated? Then today's show is for you. We're going to talk about setting boundaries without controlling. Before we begin, we would like to say that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of setting boundaries without controlling. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Spencer. Good morning, Spencer. How are you? I'm pretty good today. Good, good. And next to Spencer is special guest host Jonah. How's it going, Jonah? It's going all right. Thanks, Kelly. Good, good. All right, so the first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic setting boundaries without controlling. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives, and we'll follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. And we're going to start off with a reading from How Al-Anon Works on page 91 and 92. It says, Another way we learn to take care of ourselves is to define our personal limits. This involves determining for ourselves what we will and will not do or accept. It can be as simple as setting our bedtime at 10 p.m. or as difficult as deciding not to tolerate any more verbal abuse. Such limits help us to know in advance what our options are and how we feel about them, so that when faced with a stressful situation where we may not be thinking clearly, we will have some idea of what is in our best interest. It's entirely up to us to determine what is acceptable to us and what is not. The same behavior that is intolerable to one person won't bother another person at all. Our personal limits, however, do not dictate a code of behavior for others. Limits are not threats or methods of manipulation. They are merely facts. They state, I will leave the party if I feel uncomfortable around other people's drinking, rather than, I'd better not catch you drinking at this party, or promise me you won't drink this time. Certainly, there are times when it's highly appropriate to communicate our limits to those who might be affected by them, but we should consider our motives first. Are we informing them of factual information they deserve to have, or are we using limits as a way of trying to force change? We might also pause before voicing these limits, to be sure we are prepared to follow through. Otherwise, we risk seriously diminishing our credibility and diminishing our own self-esteem. As I said, my name is Kelly, and today we're talking about setting boundaries without controlling. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this topic 
as I was on the treadmill this morning. And um, I was thinking, you know, before I came to the program, I really didn't have much of an understanding of boundaries. Well, I had a really good understanding of boundaries as set by other people. Um, you know, the environment that I grew up in was one that um, I was given a lot of instruction, like a lot of direction, like this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're not supposed to do. And so I had a really clear idea of other people setting boundaries with me, but I did not really have much experience setting boundaries with other people. And when I did, um, it was <laughs> it was not done in a very healthy way. You know, most of the time, if there was something that I was struggling with or trying to deal with, um, I just tried to ignore it or pretend it didn't happen. And eventually those sorts of feelings would build and build and build. And then there would be this sort of explosive boundary that would get set because I would just hit my limit. Um, so I didn't really, I didn't really do a good job setting boundaries before the program. So how about you guys? Did you, did you have an understanding of boundaries? If so, how did it function in your life? I, I really don't think I did. And, you know, I, I, I understand boundaries in, in two ways now. And one is, is in the way that we're talking about today, which is setting um, boundaries about, or as, as the reading said, limits about what we'll accept from other people or from uh, the world, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but the other one that, that I think really fed into my lack of being able to set appropriate boundaries on, on other people's behavior is that I did not understand the boundary between me and the rest of the world that, that I didn't have a hula hoop as, as we so often put it. Right. Uh, and that I felt like I was responsible for everything. And in, in the flip side of that is of course, feeling that, that then I need to control everything. Mm -hmm. And, it was really, I think it was really important for me to understand where I stopped and where you start before I could realistically set boundaries on what I'd accept from you. Because if you're just an extension of me, then how do I, how do I put a boundary on that? You know? Right. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think, I think I had this notion of, you know, control the, if, if you do this, I'll be really angry. Well, so what? You know, <laughs> um, you better not drink too much at this party, kind of thing, right? Right. Uh, and th those didn't work for me. Needless to say, um, that was before I understood that I was powerless over other people's behavior and actions, and attitudes, and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, not not a good concept of boundaries at the beginning, at all. Yeah, not not for me either. I think, Spencer, that's a great point. Coming into the program, not having a clear understanding of where I left off and somebody else started uh, meant that I, it, the concept of boundaries didn't even really make that much sense to me. In my family of origin, there were no boundaries. Um, and in fact, boundary is kind of a bad word. <laughs> so if I say... <laughs> boundary to my mother she says don't you love me or you know right. what she, she likes to talk about fortunately she doesn't listen to this program <laughs> she, 
she likes to talk about um, the unconditional mother-child bond. That's her kind of her catchphrase. And what that means is that we don't set boundaries <laughs> if we have an unconditional bond and love and whatever. That means that we don't set any limits with each other. And so when when I started learning about the concept of boundaries, you know, as I as I became an adult, um, and I would try to set them, still not really knowing what that looked like or what it really meant. Um, you know, she would push back with, you know, you know don't you love me? <laughs> so that is, so it was, it was hard for me to learn about setting boundaries. Definitely. Ruth, uh, Ruth has joined us. Oh, hey Ruth. Yeah. Hi Ruth. She says she used to think that symbiotic relations are the ones with the biggest love, no boundaries. Mm. How crazy. Sounds like my mother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's sort of a all consuming love kind of thing, you know, I, I, I guess I, I feel now that, that love with boundaries is a lot healthier. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I mean, absolutely. But I think that for me, at least I, I, what I understood to be love wasn't really love, right? It was just enmeshment and lack of boundaries, um, and chaos as an aside. Uh, but yeah, kind of a healthy love between two independent people was not something that I understood. I was also thinking that I think that I used to understand boundaries as something that you negotiate with somebody. And I mean, don't get me wrong, negotiation is important, but it was like my idea of what I even wanted my boundary to be or what I felt that I needed was a negotiation, you know? So it was kind of like, oh, you know, I kind of might need this thing. What do you think? <laughs> like, let's figure out together what my boundary is in a okay. way that works for me and for you so that I don't have to do something that might be scary, right? right. Um, so that, yeah, that, that's, that has to change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I feel like some of this, um, some of the things you guys are talking about in terms of the sort of misconception of boundaries you know, for me at least, deals with, um, you know, growing up in that environment where you're always trying to make sure that everything looks good on the outside. You know, that you you can't have boundaries because you all need to band together and make sure that you're on the same page and telling the same story and that it's this consistent message for the outside world to hear. And um, if you have boundaries, it makes that a lot more difficult to do. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and I, I certainly learned that, that codependent, no boundaries behavior early, um, that, that I'm responsible for your happiness kind of feeling. I learned that one at my mother's knee, literally, um, because that's what she does. She still does. Um, I think as well, as, as she's becoming more dependent, um, as she ages, I think, She's having to let go of that to some extent because she really has to, she's sort of her body sort of forcing her to pay attention to her own needs. But I think if she could, she would. (laughs) (laughs) So what about methods that you guys used before the program in terms of, because I, you know, I think part of the reason that we learn to use boundaries in the program is to protect ourselves from destructive behavior or, or behavior that we don't want to participate in. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking pre-program, 
I guess my way of dealing with situations like that was just to run away. You know, I didn't, um, I didn't think there was any room for negotiation. You know, I sort of had that idea that every people are who they are and that, um, if there's something I don't like, then it means the relationship doesn't work. You know, like I just need to leave. Hmm. That's so interesting. I think my reaction was the opposite, which is if there's something that I don't like, then I'm going to change it. <laughs> so, so boundaries, but, but I didn't know how to set boundaries that were for myself or using I statements. It was more like, you know, don't do this thing. I'm going to freak out or, okay. you know, you, you can't do this thing because, and then some kind of factual argument about why they couldn't do that thing or shouldn't do it or whatever. Um, which yes, was absolutely controlling behavior and never really, I never really spoke with any agency, right? So like, I need this thing for these reasons. So I am going to act in these ways to get it right. If you do this thing, I may have to leave or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, not, not you better not do this thing, right? That's, that's not effective. And, and that's, I think that's basically what I did. If, if, I think I had both behaviors actually that, that I would try to control behavior with the, I don't want you to, if you do this or else kind of statements, um, fully expecting that the other person would comply with my wishes. And so the, or else would never have to happen mm -hmm. because usually the, or else was either not well-defined at all. I didn't really know what I would do if they, if they did the thing I didn't want them to do, uh, or else it was, it, it was something that I didn't want to have happen. It was, and, and it's really hard for me to think of examples now because I'm, I'm trying to think back like, 20, 30 years here. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Uh, or, as you say, if it was just intolerable, then maybe I would just give up and, yeah. and not, not go there, not, not be with that person or whatever. Uh, and if it was somebody that I felt I wanted to be with, of course, then you get all kinds of fun cognitive dissonance going on. Like, well, I want to be with this person, but I can't stand to be with this person. Oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, so, not healthy. Definitely not healthy. <laughs> and I've also found that I've been in many relationships with other people who are codependent or anxious. And so uh, people who were also unable to set and keep boundaries themselves, mm -hmm. right? So if I said, um, you know, don't, if you drink at this party, I don't know why I would keep going back to that, but whatever. If you drink, example from the reading. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> if you drink at this party, I'm going to freak out. And then. And then maybe it happened one time that they drank and I freaked out in a totally emotionally uncontrolled way. And then they wouldn't do it again. And so I also learned repeatedly that oh. if I make these, you're like, that's not wow. my <laughs> <laughs> not, not in a good way though, right? Not in a like, I, you know, I respect your boundaries and your needs, but other people not wanting me to freak out. So like, they have no hula hoop of their own either, right? Right, Because they need to make a decision for themselves and not to protect me from anxiety or protect me from freaking out or because they are afraid of what that looks like, right? Yeah. So I think that I learned, not in my family of origin, but, you know, as I was in intimate relationships as I got older, that I could make those kind of empty threats and... I would see the results that I wanted. Empty threats, that's the word. Mm -hmm. Empty threats, mm -hmm. yep. 
Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, I guess, you know, we've started, we've started to kind of touch on this idea that, you know, we're trying to control somebody else's behavior through expressing our needs, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of a manipulative way to get or try to get what we want anyway. Right. That's the other one. It's like, I need this thing. You just say it. I need this thing. And then expect the other person to comply because, you know, the sort of the passive aggressive approach, right? Right. You know. And what's at the end of that is, and I expect you to give it to me. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. What's worse is when you don't even tell them. Oh, yeah. When you just have the expectation in your head, like, you're supposed to be doing this for me, and you should know that you're supposed to be doing it. Why aren't you doing it? (laughs) I'm pissed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So how do you, I guess, maybe using some of the, the program tools, how do you guys determine as you're setting, as you're kind of navigating this boundary setting process, how do you determine the difference between boundary and behavior controlling? Well, one of the things, one of the sort of very simple tests that that I learned early in the program, and maybe before I could really apply it, but it, it am I saying something about what is acceptable to me, or am I saying something about what I want you to do? Mm-hmm. Okay, because the the only kind of boundary that I can enforce, if you will, uh, is one that's about my behavior. And it might say, as as it said in the reading, if you drink at this party, I will leave. Or if I'm uncomfortable with your drinking at this party, I will leave. Um, it doesn't say don't drink. It says I'm not going to be comfortable in this situation, therefore I'm going to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um now, the kinds of things that I wanted to set boundaries on, I might not have been able to sort of figure out, well, what, what would I do? Um, if you continue to drink alcoholically, I'm going to get divorced. Um, you know, ain't going to work for me. <laughs> I'm not there. I was not ready. I was not there. Uh, so, so sometimes I, I, had this concept, but I had no idea how to apply it. Right. I think for me, the question I have to ask myself is, um, what's my motive in the conversation? I talk about that a lot with, um, with my sponsees too, because, you know, if it's a situation where I am trying to get a specific outcome out of the situation, um, or I want a certain result, then I know that that's me not setting healthy boundaries. You know, that's me trying to control the situation or the person. Um, and kind of like you said, Spencer, you know, if it's, if it's about me and my needs and taking care of myself, then that's, you know, that's, if that's my motive, then that's a good direction, I guess, for, for having the conversation. I don't know. Jonah? Yeah. Kelly, you actually posed that question to me about a week ago when I was, <laughs> It was when I was trying to come up with a solution to a dilemma that I was in, and you said, what's your motivation? And I hadn't really thought about it like that before. Somebody who um, is very close to me had asked me for some money, and I felt um, compelled to help and also responsible um, and, and, and feel a lot of love for this person. And I didn't know... I didn't know what to do because I also felt that I did not want to give them any money. Um, and I didn't know 
I didn't know, and I didn't know what kind of boundary to set. And I also knew that that could look a lot of different ways. It didn't just have to be give money or don't give money. Um, and so you asked me what my motivation was and how I would feel in, you know, like kind of role playing through, as they say, playing the tape to the end um, with the different situations, if I gave money, if I didn't, et cetera. And I realized in talking to you that I would expect certain things um, in exchange for the money, like emotional availability or kindness or whatever, and that I couldn't, um, I couldn't reasonably expect or ask for those things. And so I needed to, I needed to set, to set a boundary that would take care of me. Um, and I, I think that the, so for me, the very first step in thinking through a boundary or really thinking through anything is figuring out what I need. And that's a really difficult <laughs> task for me. Um, that's not something that I ever grew up thinking about or even really had a concept of. So figuring out what it is that I need for myself separate from other people, separate from a really complicated situation is definitely the first step for me. So um, we actually were prompted to do this topic uh, by an email we received recently, which asked, um, I think we read it last week, which asked, when I set boundaries, my qualifier feels that I'm trying to control him. I would love to hear this addressed. How do we set boundaries in a way that is not controlling? And and I wrote back and I said, well, I can ask myself some questions, such as, as you say, what's my motivation? Um, am I trying to protect my own emotional, spiritual, mental, or physical serenity or safety? Or am I trying to tell the other person what to do or not to do? How am I saying it? Am I setting limits on what I will accept, which we also talked about here? Mm -hmm. Or am I trying to cause a particular outcome? Are my statements I-centered or you-centered? Mm. Um, how am I specifying the boundary? Is it something the other person could see or would they have to read my mind? And how, have I set consequences that I can enforce that I will be willing to enforce? And, uh, and, and then I had an example that's not about drinking at a party. Um, <laughs> it's something I run into uh, in my personal life. Uh, I need, sometimes I need quiet time. I need to not be bugged. Um, I'm not ready to have somebody come over and talk to me. Amen. Uh, and so I, I said, I might try to set a boundary by saying, don't talk to me when I need to be alone. <laughs> okay, well, let's look at that with respect to those four questions. First question, uh, what's my motivation? Well, I'm trying to tell the other person what to do so that I can protect my needs. So it's maybe maybe balanced there. Um, how am I saying it? Well, it's a you-centered, you know, don't talk to me, right? Um Am I specifying the boundary of something that the person can see? No. How do they know I need to be alone? Hmm. And have I set consequences that I can enforce? There's no, there's no consequence there at all. It's just don't talk to me. I haven't, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do if they talk to me. I'll probably get angry <laughs> and yell at them, right? <laughs> or, or I'll get all grumpy and withdrawn and sulky and, and, you know, which, um, or I could say, sometimes I need to be quiet and alone. If you try to talk to me during these times, I will ask you to please leave me alone. If you continue to try to talk to me, I will not respond and may leave the room. This does not mean that I never want to talk to you, just not right then. Now, a lot more words there, okay, because I'm an Alan on and on and on person, okay? <laughs> um, motivation, protecting my serenity. Um, I think it, that that's pretty clear. How am I saying it? I state my need. I make a request, and I state what I will do if the request is not satisfied or honored. How do I specify the boundary? Um, I will tell the person when I need that boundary to be respected. 
Okay, so that's a little bit of a problem because if I really want to be alone, I don't want somebody to talk to me and somebody comes up and says, hey, da, 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 I have to say, excuse me, I need to be alone right now. Okay, maybe I, I, I think I can probably manage that um, without saying get the F out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, can I jump in with a question yeah. for you guys? So do you experience fear when you set boundaries um, Ooh, and, and how do you deal with that fear? Um, I would say... Yes. <laughs> yes, period. <laughs> um, well, I would say Next the, question. the more that I practice doing it and the more that I maybe get positive responses from other people from sort of setting boundaries in a healthy way, um, the, the more, the, the less fear there's going to be about doing it next time because fear for me is all about what I think the reaction is going to be. Um, and and how how do you handle if you do get a reaction that is unkind or mm. not understanding or maybe even threatening in some way? How do you cope with your reaction to that? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. <laughs> I need well. some help with this stuff. So. <laughs> uh, no, I understand. I, I I get it. I get it. Um, I don't know, Kelly, you got some, 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 some thoughts here? Well, I was going to say, in response to your first question about fear, um, absolutely. But for me, it really depends on the relationship with the person and how much is at stake. Mm -hmm. You know, setting right. a boundary with... Um, the person at the soda machine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Someone who asks for a water cup and fills it with soda. Um, easy to set a boundary. Not a lot of fear involved there. Um, but, you know, random people that I run into that um, cross a boundary of mine, a total stranger, like not a big deal. I don't, I don't really feel too much fear there. But if we're talking about setting a boundary with someone that I, there's a lot of stake in the relationship, um, that makes it tough. And also setting boundaries with people who don't have a program, there's a lot more fear involved in that because mm. if, you know, if I set boundaries, like, um, like when I, when I start sponsoring someone new, I usually let them know, like, uh, I don't leave my phone on all night. So if you have an emergency in the middle of the night, like I'm not the person to call. And because of the way that my schedule works, I'm not going to be able to pick up the phone every time that you call. I may be in an appointment. I may be having quiet time, you know, like I, I just am not always 100% available. And, um, you know, to set, to set that boundary in the beginning of the relationship, um, with someone who has a program, like I feel like they can receive that information, process it, and then get back to me with a response that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of also program-based. Right. And they may not like it, but they understand what it Why? means to set a boundary. Right. Yes. And and in that case, I mean, for you, the risk is low. And they might say, well, I don't think I can accept that. And then you can say, well, I don't think I'm the right sponsor for you. Yeah, you can find someone else. Um, you know, if I, if I want to set a boundary with my wife around <laughs> something new, say, uh, or something that, we haven't had a healthy boundary about, and I'm trying to, to put one in there, that can be a lot scarier because right. there's a lot more at stake. You can't right. just say, well, maybe I'm not the right person for you. Go find somebody else. Uh, I mean, at uh, some point you might, but not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and, and actually this, this quiet time thing is one that, that we have struggled with because I think I, for a long time, I was not able to 
express my need in a clear way. Uh, and I would, I would react to sort of her response to me in her words, ignoring her because I was focusing inward rather than outward in that moment or whatever. Um, and I would say, you know, things like, well, sometimes I can't just, you know, jump up right away. Sometimes I can't just respond right away. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my head and, and, you know, and that's not effective. That was not an effective way of expressing it. Um, I think it's something we're still working on actually. Um, yeah. I was, I was thinking of an example when I set a boundary that was not well received, Jonah. Um, and Spencer Ruth had a comment in the chat room, oh, I that, but I can't read the whole thing because of my um, phone. So, okay. So anyway, we'll, oh, um, we'll so my, um, there was a, a time, uh, during my partner's, um, when he was not working and was, had been in talks with somebody about a potential position and they had asked him to fly out for this conference that they were having. They wanted to do like an interview there. And, um, they, it was my understanding that they had given him a choice. So you can fly out here and do this thing, or we will be in the United States in a couple weeks and we can, we can do it then. And, um, he needed to renew his passport. It had, um, expired or was about to expire. And, um, he asked me for money to pay for the passport renewal. And in my eyes, you know, there were there. So I had to think about, you know, all these things that Spencer talked about, like, you know, what's, what's in my best interest? What are the options here? All of these things. And to me, it felt like, you know, it's not necessary. Like, I don't really have a lot of extra money right now and to put it towards something that's not necessary versus maybe like food or paying the car payment or something like that. Like <laughs> I would rather use it for something like that. And, um, and he got really upset that I wasn't willing to give him the money for this because, um, I don't know, but he felt it was necessary <laughs> to go. And, and really, I, you know, I think it was just like, he just wanted to go on this trip you know, and, and I wasn't willing to fund that. Um, so, uh, it was, you know, it's turned into this giant argument and, um, you know, I'm not supportive, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard because I feel like when you're met with resistance to a boundary, you have to hear a lot of things that you don't necessarily want to hear. You know, you get a lot of resistance and sometimes when people are upset by boundaries, they lash out with, things that have nothing to do with the boundary or that particular conversation. Um, and, and those things are hard to hear, but you know, for me, it really was, it was something that I, fortunately I had had time to think out my response ahead of time. And so I really had this whole list of reasons why I didn't want to support this endeavor um, versus the conversations where I get caught off guard, you know, like mm. the surprise attack conversation. <laughs> I don't have a lot of backup ammo for why, why I've made the choice I've made. So, um, so I just really had to stick to my guns and, you know, make it a conversation about this isn't, this does not mean I don't love you. This just means I don't support this particular thing. 
you know, kind of like Spencer said, like, I just need quiet time. Like, it doesn't mean I don't ever want to talk to you again. It just means right now. Mm -hmm. And Yeah, and I've had a similar experience for myself, which is I feel like I really need to justify my boundaries. And I think that that's part of, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it is for you, but for me, it's part of still feeling scared about setting them and feeling scared of people's reactions. So as opposed to just being able to say, I mean, of course you want to, if it's somebody you care about and you're engaged with them, you you want to explain where you're coming from. Um, but, But I think that it's very hard for me to say, this is my boundary because this is my boundary. And instead it's like, I have to convince them or really explain to them why this is my boundary. They have to understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're smiling. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's like, I have to present a legal argument for why <laughs> this is, you know, why I'm justified in this boundary. Yeah. And that's hard because a lot of times we're dealing with people who aren't coming from the same viewpoint. Like they don't agree with you. So yeah, you- and, and it doesn't have to be rational necessarily. Right. I mean, right. I think that that's right. the, that's, Those are the hard ones. Yeah. Well, yeah, but and it's okay. But, but I think that we don't need to have to rationally justify all of our boundaries, mm-hmm. right? But there. But I I know that I feel this this need to because I feel like um, I'm more justified in setting a boundary if it makes sense to me and everybody else, mm-hmm. um, which is what I was saying earlier about feeling like I need to negotiate boundaries with people. Um, it's okay sometimes to just say this is my boundary because this is what I need, period, you know? Yeah, at, so what I'm thinking about and is uh, a friend who a couple times when I, maybe more than a couple times, but, you know, when I, I tried to call and they're like, I'm, I'm just not up for a conversation right now. And I guess I feel like, I guess I have enough program that generally – in most of those instances, I was able to say, oh, yeah, I get it, you know, another time. Um, one time I pushed back, ended up making amends. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, my friend didn't have to explain to me why they weren't up for, for talking. and That was not required. Um, I think, you know, they might have, but that wasn't really necessary. It's just enough to say... I'm sorry, I can't do this right now. Um, and But I could see how that comes across to somebody who does not have a good concept of what's my hula hoop, what's your hula hoop, who is still maybe codependently enmeshed in a relationship, and you say, whoa, sorry, no, can't be, you know, can't be intimate right now, can't be, uh, you know, I need to be by myself. Uh, feels like rejection. Absolutely. And, and I guess one of the questions that our, uh, our writer had is, well, how, you know, what do you do when it, when it's that kind of person? I mean, how do you, um, they say, Oh, you're rejecting me. You're pushing me away. And, and how much can we say it's not you? It's me. Um, you know, one of the things that I've, I, I love about this program is when somebody who's in the program says to me, it's not you. It's me. I can believe them. <laughs> <laughs> And I can understand it. I mean, I may not like it, but I can understand it and accept it. Uh, but that's not always true of the people that we're that are in our lives. And uh, I don't know. You know, General, when you're talking earlier about the justification piece, like having to justify 
justify setting boundaries. You know, to me, that really speaks to how I'm feeling in terms of self-worth. Mm. You know, like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm in a place where I'm feeling insecure about myself, I can set boundaries without having to justify them, you know, but when I'm in that really vulnerable space where maybe I'm second guessing a decision that I'm making, you know, then that's when I feel like I have to like, you know, type up a list and hand it to them. <laughs> Here's why. Yeah, that's I need a to set point. this boundary. That's Are a really you great point. maybe also trying to convince yourself when you do that? Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah. I'm sure that's a piece of it too. You know, it's this is something that a lot of us don't have a lot of good experience with. So oh, yeah. you know, sometimes it it is that piece of like, am I making the right decision? Is you know, I think the program says that this is healthy for me, but. I'm not quite convinced or I'm not sure or this other person has been telling me for years that that's not the case, you know, and I, and yeah, I don't know. That's, that's tough. So, so what do you do when you, when you get that? What was the, what was the listener question? Um, when you're the other person says you're trying to control me and you know, the only answer I had in response to that and you know, was to, you know, to look at what we're doing and say to, to be able to say to ourselves, no, I'm, I'm really not doing this to try to control the other person. I'm doing this to try to, um, you know, keep, keep them out of my hula hoop, whatever, um, to, uh, as I said, protect emotional, physical, um, serenity, uh, and safety. And, but as you say, even if I'm doing it sort of in the, in the, the best way and for the best motives that I really am setting a boundary about my needs uh, and, and not saying you need to do this, um, that doesn't mean that the other person's going to perceive it as not being controlling. And, um, so then what do we do? Um, I think I want to maybe sit on that for a minute and read this um, letter that Ruth wrote us, sure. her reflection on, on boundaries. She says, Hey, dear friends in recovery, what a complex topic you have chosen for today, boundaries. Known, communicated, and respected boundaries are the key for all our relations. Looking back, broken boundaries were the cause for broken up relations in my life. For me, a boundary is only a frame for a limit. Of course, I have to know these limits first. For some, it took painful experiences for me to know and accept them. Therefore, I had to accept that I cannot fix it all. In the past, I used some synonyms for fixing it all, so I didn't even realize that I wanted to fix something. I called it tolerance, being more resourceful, balancing things, or just being able to endure a situation until I reached my limits and hit bottom by getting ill or depressed. Then, it seems the only way I could get dis was to get distance, leave the person, break up the relationship. And I guess some people who broke up with me did it for the same reason. Even though I never intended to violate other people's boundaries, they may just not be clear enough for me. I can't keep from looking back and wishing that I would already have had some of my Al-Anon tools in the past. And, man, don't we all? Huh? Hmm. <laughs> Dang. Uh, <laughs> and could have saved some of my relationships. So setting boundaries is a good and helpful thing to do in general. I think when you're setting boundaries, you should think of yourself, considering you are a lovable human being who deserves to be treated like that as well as the other person. 
Sometimes it's very simple, and talking about it solves the situation. Yes, other people can't read my mind, and I can't read theirs. Stop trying to read other people's minds. Give my life a huge amount of relief, by the way. So my neighbor told me that me slamming the apartment door wakes him up. I could stop that by always using my keys to shut the door. Problem solved. Unfortunately, things are not often that easy. Things the other person does or doesn't do are the long-worn habits or your counterpart just doesn't agree to do amends for whatever reason. Then I check what I can do to change the situation so I get along with it. I can look at it from a different angle. Can I just let it go? Or can uh, what can I do to take care of myself and get along with it? But when I become aware that I've reached my limits, self-care may mean departing. This wonderful song from the Black Eyed Peas came to mind. Shut up. Well, not familiar with the song, huh? Is that all there is? I guess that's a quote. Nice example of a non-working communication. <laughs> Just shut up. Uh, as I said at the beginning, I wish that I could have dealt with boundaries better in the past. Today, I see my progress in smaller issues with my family of origin, with friends at work, or even with people on the street. Sometimes I'm really surprised that when I set a boundary and my counterpart just says, okay, no problem. <laughs> um, the next step for me would be to stand up more for myself my first attempts don't succeed. It may be the issue with vulnerability that I can't stand people seeing me failing. I may be afraid to give them power over me by announcing my wishes and then being able to refuse or accept what they that they refuse. Oh. Doing the first step, I'm powerless over other people, may help. I keep practicing. And she says, I hope you are all recovered from your colds. That really <laughs> regards Ruth. And I think I'm pretty much over my cold. I did get a flu shot on Friday, which kind of knocked me down Friday night. I was like, oh, I'm really tired. Why am I really tired? Like I just was sitting in a chair falling asleep Friday night. And I finally was like, oh, I got a flu shot. I bet that's what it is. Anyway, a little bit of an aside there. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, she sort of touches on this question of what happens if your boundary is rejected or your attempt to set a boundary is rejected. And and uh, I liked what you said, Kelly, about as you gain self-esteem, as you gain confidence in yourself, then it, it becomes easier to really say, no, this is what I need. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, yeah. yeah, and I think in the meantime, reaching out to other people, to people on the programs mm-hmm. and say, you know, to kind of help you fortify your boundary uh, or talk through your boundary, because sometimes we don't have the self-confidence or the self-worth to either set it initially or to hold to it. Um, I'm particularly bad at the latter. I, it is so, so difficult for me to hold to my boundaries because I have so much fear that comes up. So reaching out to somebody in the program and saying, you know, can I talk this boundary through with you? And can I talk through why I feel like I'm going to go back on it? You know, and, and being able to work that through with somebody else, I think can be, at least for me, probably the best way to find the strength to hold it. A lot of times when I talk to someone else too, they can help me find the right verbiage to use when I'm setting the boundary. Cause a lot of times, you know, I'm so emotionally attached to the situation that I, the way that I'm going to express it is sort of emotionally driven, you know? And when I talk to someone who's not involved in the situation, they can give me some wording to use, you know, kind of like you touched on Spencer using I statements instead of you, um, you know, it it really helps to get someone else's perspective. Um, and also, I was thinking as you were reading Ruth's letter, um, I was thinking about the the question of you know how do you respond when they say that you're trying to control them, and 
you know, for me, sometimes I have to remind my qualifier in our conversations that, you know, he still has a choice. He may not like the choices that I'm offering <laughs> that are within my boundary, but, but there are still choices available. And that's, you know, that's another sort of gauge that I can use to determine whether or not I'm controlling or setting a boundary is if I'm providing somebody with information and they are still left with a choice that they can make, then I feel like it's healthy boundary setting. Mm -hmm. If it's controlling, I'm taking away that choice from them. Yeah. Uh, so I have an example that I was connected to, but I was not the person directly involved. So I'm going to change names here. Um, we're going to talk about Bill and Karen and, um, so Bill and Karen are in a relationship, and and Karen went off to a family event that happened to be in a very uh, a resort place, and and um, and when it came time for Karen to come home, there was an opportunity mm -hmm. to give up the plane ticket for a later date because the plane was overbooked, and so Karen said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to stay here," you know, having no real responsibilities at home, and um, Bill was not happy with this. Um, and, uh, and called a bunch of people, including me and said, what can I do? What can I do? He's, you know, Karen is, is telling me like, oh, I'm so, I miss you so much, but she's choosing to stay there. Uh, and this is driving me crazy and I don't know what to do. What kind of boundary can I set here? And I was kind of clueless. I did not have a good suggestion. And, uh, um, but somebody else did. And this is where I guess it can be valuable to call more than one person, right? <laughs> right? If you're really struggling with it. And the, the, the boundary that Bill ended up setting was that when Karen called and started into this, Bill just said, I'm, I'm not going to listen to this. You know, if you want to say these things here, I'll put the phone down and you can say them to the cat. <laughs> okay. But I don't need to hear this about how about, Karen, about how Karen, is having such a great time, mm. but also misses Bill so much. And really, why did I do this? Why am I still here? I, I really would like to be home, but mm. I'm loving it down here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how you think about how you would feel on the end, the other end of that conversation, right? Well, Bill was not happy, and uh, and that and that actually worked. Like, okay, you know, you can call me. We can have a conversation. Just I don't want to hear that particular line that you're giving me. Um, and I think Bill Fettel was a bit of a line. I don't know. It sounds like it was to me, but. Whatever. And, and I thought, wow, that's brilliant. Um, you know, why, why couldn't, why couldn't I think of that? But you know, <laughs> like I said, that's why you have more than one person. <laughs> what about consequences? We haven't, we haven't talked about, whoa, <laughs> everybody just took really yeah. <laughs> when you said that. I guess we need to talk about that. Huh? Or we could just end now. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Cause consequences, I mean, they, they need to be, this is this has always been the hard part for me mm -hmm. about setting boundaries. Yes, is is follow through. Follow through. If the boundary is broken, what do I do? Can I set a consequence that I am willing to actually carry out, whatever that might be? Um, <sighs> and uh, you know, <laughs> still a lot of sighing going on. I, you got any ideas here, Kelly? Oh man, since you're not sighing. Well. Um, you know, I have, I have had a financial situation that I've repeatedly had to set the same boundary on. And it's, you know, it's really exhausting because, you know, 
there's enough fear around boundaries as it is. And to set it and have it pushed and then, you know, reset it, have it pushed again, reset it again. Um, it's hard, you know, it's, it's coming back to that self-worth piece. Like it sometimes it makes me second guess myself. Like, am I, am I making the wrong decision here? You know, this keeps getting challenged. Maybe I'm in the wrong, you know, maybe this isn't how it's supposed to be working, but, um, you know, I have, I have had a conversation with one of the women that I work with about the same thing repeatedly. And kind of something that we, we keep coming back to is again, the verbiage, you know, like how maybe the way that the conversation was had last time, it just wasn't, it wasn't understood, you know? So maybe, I don't know, maybe I need to change the way I'm saying it. Um, maybe I need to stress the level of importance to me. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's a really fine line there though, between controlling, you know, with some of those things. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Consequences are, they're tough to carry out. And a lot of times I think, you know, we go, at least my mind a lot of times goes towards the stereotypical, like threat, you know, if like, I keep telling you this and it's not happening. So like, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do this bad thing. Yeah. And, um, oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> Kelly's well, saying. Tough, you guys. Yeah, now Kelly's saying, wow, yeah. we're all saying, okay. <laughs> I actually do have, I think, an example uh, from years ago uh, when my loved one was still drinking. And I, I set a boundary. I said, I am not going to purchase alcohol for you because, you know, that's enabling, right? Uh, and... I won't say that I always kept that boundary perfectly because I had to consider situations. Um, but if I'm going to the grocery store, no, I'm not going to pick up a couple of bottles of wine for you. It's just not happening. That one I could keep. It's the, um, I've been drinking all evening and I'm out and I want some more and I'm going to go get it myself unless mm. you get it for me situation that, and I can't say that I always kept my boundary in that situation. Um, and I also, came to find, and I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, I think I might have, but that a boundary that is appropriate in one situation may end up being not appropriate in a different situation. Mm -hmm. And we were traveling. We were in a different state that has different laws about when and where you can buy alcohol. We had one car instead of two. And I manipulated the situation one day so that there was no alcohol left at the end of the day. Um, which had some physical consequences that I was really not prepared to accept. I don't think I need to detail anything there. And what I, what I learned from that was that that boundary of, I'm not going to help you buy alcohol. Well, completely appropriate at home where the grocery store is two blocks away and you can buy wine in the grocery store was not appropriate in that situation where uh, we were five miles from the nearest town and you had to get there before whatever six in the evening because that's when the liquor store closed and we only had one car and um, that in that situation that was not a healthy boundary for 
the family as a whole, I guess, is, is maybe the way to think about that. Um, because we all suffered the consequences the next day. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, Spencer. I'm also thinking about, in terms of consequences, trying to hold your boundary, follow through on your consequences when you don't necessarily, when you're, when you don't necessarily 100% want them, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, in the process of separating, my wife and I, um, well, I, I had to draw a number of boundaries along the way. And one of those boundaries was, um, I, I need you to not reach out to me in times of need. So, you, you know, I am not the person to come to when you're feeling sad or grieving or depressed or suicidal, or I am not the person. Um, and I, you know, I set that boundary because I knew that I needed it for me, but I didn't want it <laughs> necessarily. So then she would reach out and depending on how I was doing that day or what I was feeling or what I was needing, I might not respond or I might feel like I want to respond because I need this connection with her right now or I'm really terrified that she's going to hurt herself or, you know, one thing after the next, lots of justifications. Um, so being able to really stick to that and carry out the consequences, the consequences in that case being probably not picking up the phone and responding or not replying to an email or whatever and sitting with the anxiety that comes up for me when I have to hold a boundary that's being challenged. Um, so when somebody pushes back on my boundary and I'm trying to follow through the consequences, I have a lot of anxiety um, because I, I want that reassurance that everything is okay. Um, I set the boundary, you tried to violate it, I'm following through with it, and you're okay with that. <laughs> right? And you can't always get that. Um, yeah. You want the other person to be okay with the consequences. Exactly. I want them to be okay with <laughs> the boundary, happening. and then if they're not okay with the boundary, I want them to be okay with the consequences. <laughs> it's like I need their help in holding it, you know? So, yeah. again, another time when I need to reach out and call somebody. Yeah. Um, we had a question in the chat room. Uh, Jenny, who I don't know when she joined the chat room, says, Hi, on the Recovered podcast, they said borders and boundaries. Does borders mean the same as boundaries? And my answer to that is, I think so. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what Mark meant when he said that. So uh, either you guys borders feel any me, distinction there? Borders to me sounds a little more gray. Like, these are kind of the... Like, I'm, I'm trying not to use the word borders. <laughs> These are like the, um, uh, like, can somebody help me with the hand motions that I'm using? Limitations? <laughs> like, perimeter? Perimeters, thank you. These are kind of the perimeters of what is comfortable for me or safe or whatever, but it's not as defined or rigid as this is my boundary. Okay. I, I, that's just what it sounds okay. like to me. I have right, no idea right. though. And I don't know if that's, if that's in, like an AA term i'm not familiar with or if i don't know do they group yeah do they group them together in in the blue book maybe some know. of our other listeners have an idea yeah maybe you can write in i mean to me they would be really similar borders and boundaries that's sort of my feeling but um, thank you for that question though i got to she avoid said she wondered if it was a local term um well we're in the same locality as as recovered. As so. recovered, yeah. Um, Maybe we'll have to ask around and come back next week. As, uh, we can ask Mark. Where's Mark? Mark? 
Yeah, where's He's Mark? He's probably room. at church. Oh, okay. You know, it's Sunday. It's a good excuse. He does that thing. <laughs> I went to church. I just went early. But, uh, um, well, do you guys have any last thoughts as we wrap up the discussion on... They are really hard. Boundaries <laughs> without controlling. Besides a lot of sighing. Besides yeah. a big sigh. And big... <laughs> uh, they are hard. They are hard. And, and I've been trying to figure out setting boundaries well, setting boundaries appropriately, and enforcing boundaries since I first started learning about them. And I'm still mm. working on it. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think I'm getting better at it, uh, particularly in the sort of really – getting better at expressing what I want as a boundary and, and less expecting other people to read my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, but it's, it's so important and, and it can be very effective tool. I guess setting boundaries is just one part of self care and mm. self-care is a lifelong journey. So I'm kind of letting us off the hook a little bit. <laughs> so, hey. no, so we learn as we go, I think. It is self-care. And Ruth has a final thought here, I think, for us. She says, I can connect better with people since I can use boundaries. Mm -hmm. I don't have to just run away. Mm. Mm -hmm. Very good. That's great, Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. Um, you know, I, I kind of try to keep, if there's something like this that I'm struggling with, I try to keep my ears open at meetings to when I maybe hear somebody in a share talk about successfully setting a boundary or whatever it is, you know, and, um, and, and not be afraid to ask them for help. Um, cause you know, if I try to think my way out of things, I'm likely to not make much progress, but if I can talk to somebody who seems like they've been there, they've worked through it, they've already learned a little bit more than what I know about the process, then it's, you know, it's good to ask for help too. Hmm. Yeah. And the last thought I'm having is that we should celebrate our boundaries, right? We should, we should celebrate the setting of our boundaries because I'm just sitting here thinking about this boundary I mentioned before about the money and feeling really good about it, feeling really good that I was able to set and hold that boundary, which was a really difficult one for me. And I think that a lot of times I just have so many negative feelings about boundaries, right? Hence the big sigh <laughs> that's happened multiple times. But I think the more that we kind of celebrate them, um, then the better we can feel about setting them in the future. Okay. I have one more example. <laughs> I thought of earlier and then forgot. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, my son got into some trouble at college um, and uh, and needed support uh, as he worked out the consequences of what he had done. And it was it was he had been banned from campus and had to get basically reinstated. And so I flew two thousand miles to be with him to provide support while he worked his way through it. And I don't think I explicitly stated a boundary there, but the boundary that was in my head was. You need to fix it. I'm not going to fix it for you, but I will give you a bed to sleep in, food to eat, and transportation while you're working it out. Uh, and, and you know, he had some real consequences there, and he had to, for example, he had to move out of his dorm, um, and he had to convince the psych people that he was safe to be back on campus. Um, he received a restraining order. Uh, you know, cop walks in with 
gun and everything and says, are you so-and-so here? <laughs> I'm serving this. Um, and, and, you know, and so the boundary was on me. It was really a boundary I set on myself of what, what I would do and what I would not do, uh, in, in this, in this situation. And, and he did it. And, and I think that our relationship is the better for it. I think he's a stronger person for it. And, uh, yeah. So that was, that was a successful boundary that, that I set that I was able to keep mostly. Uh, we had, we were there over a weekend and, and the person at the school that was deciding whether he was readmitted was supposed to, at least my understanding was supposed to call us on Friday and let us know what the decision was. And there was no decision on Friday. There was no call. And about Sunday, I called this person's voicemail and said, Hey, what's up? We haven't heard from you. <laughs> it was a little momentary lapse there. <laughs> and, and then we went out and like biked up a mountain and, and I got over it. But, uh, <laughs> so I didn't completely successfully hold that, <laughs> hold to that boundary for myself, but I, I came pretty damn close and I felt really good about it. And I think you said one really, really important thing, which is that the boundary was for you about yeah. what you would yeah. and wouldn't do. And that's what every boundary is about, I think, I or, or needs to be about. I feel like the only boundaries that I can effectively set are ones that are on my own behavior. Um, and if it's about something else that's happening outside of me, it's the boundary also has to be about what I do mm -hmm. when that something else is is not within the, what I'm willing to take. I, mean, I don't point. know what I would have done if he'd said, ah, fuck this shit. I'm just going to, you know, drop school. I mean, well, I guess I would have flown home. I don't know. <laughs> Fortunately, you didn't have to cross that bridge. I yeah. did not have to cross that. Right. <laughs> I, I think any boundary can be stretched far enough that it becomes very uncomfortable to, to, to hold it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we're going to end with um, a little quote from again from how Al-Anon works and um, it's from chapter 21 in the back the reader or the um, stories entitled the parent sets boundaries it says the hardest part of setting and sticking to my boundaries has been to do it with love after a short break we'll be back with our lives in recovery where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives and our first song today is Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers singing I won't back down, which just seems like holding a boundary really <laughs> solidly there, you know? Uh, quote, uh, some lyrics, gonna stand my ground, won't be turned around, and I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground, and I won't back down.
In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery and what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. And I'll buy you guys a little bit of time and go first. Uh, I feel like it was kind of a, a short week because we recorded Monday, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, only six days. Well, yeah. and the week before was so jam packed. Yes. Yeah. There was a lot of recovery happening. <laughs> Um, so I went to a meeting Wednesday and it was, um, it's my favorite week because one, once a month we do a first step talk, which means the speaker gives their story in relation to step one. And, um, uh, it was, it was a great talk in that I've heard this person speak and Spencer and I kind of chatted about this but had heard this person speak many times and have heard their story many times and and every time she tells it it's a totally different take and there's different stories and I hear different things and it's about a different message and um you know I feel like she always ties it into like what I learned you know this is what I learned from this experience and um so it um yeah, it was it was a really great lead, and um, and then Thursday I went to meditation, which was amazing. There's a some place out here that does like a drop in meditation. You don't have to sign up for a class or anything. It's every Thursday, and um, it was a um, I, I, I'm gonna say instructor because I don't know of a better word, but um, the, the person that leads the meditation was someone that I have never um, worked with before. And I thought she was great. I thought she did a really, really good job. I mean, the schedule was like all over the map. Like it was not, we kind of got off schedule and it wasn't like the typical format, but she did a really great job of making the best of the time that we had. And um, yeah, so I, I really enjoyed that as well. And um, I did not make it to the Friday meeting because uh, I had some friends in town. I'm kind of sad about that because I missed group conscience. And, um, but I, you know, obviously it survived without me there. So <laughs> just barely. <laughs> we we okay. managed to get through it somehow, <laughs> Kelly. I good. don't know how. Good, good. And, um, that was about it. I actually, I opted not to go to the open AA speaker, uh, last night. Um, just had some stuff that I needed to do around the house and, um, yeah. So I got a, got a little dose of serenity Saturday morning though. Um, go to pick up a farm share with someone else who is in recovery and we always kind of sit and chat, um, just about how life is going. And so that's always kind of a good spiritual check for me to start off the weekend. So that was great also. Who wants to go next? Spencer? Oh, I can. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So the Wednesday night meeting, uh, I had one of those moments where my expectations were totally wrong because when when I saw who the speaker was going to be I thought well didn't this person just talk within the last year or something I want to say last few months but I know that's not true but as Kelly said her share was totally different her story was totally different she was talking about a different aspect of her life and 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 about what she had learned from it. And, you know, it was really, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Ask this person to speak anytime. So that, that was, there was a lesson for me there in, uh, trusting, 
trusting the process, trusting our higher power to, uh, you know, to, to do the right thing. Um, Thursday, I thought about going to meditation, but I had not been to the gym in a long time because I had been sick and then, I don't know, flaky. We'll say flaky. <laughs> and I knew I just needed to go. Um, I think part of the motivation was that I was having my physical, annual physical the next morning. <laughs> I wanted to see if I could sweat off a few pounds before I got on the scale at the doctor's office. Okay, well, I'll admit to that. Um, and uh, and it was good. I actually ran at least as well. I, I've been doing like two-minute walk, two-minute run on the treadmill, aiming for about 30 minutes. And this, I think I went about 40 minutes, and I made three miles, which was is a milestone for me. And I was not wiped out at the end of it. And that, that's another, you know, because when I started, I could, I could do 30 minutes at a fast walk. And that was all I could do when I started going to the gym about four months ago. So really feel like a lot of progress there. I felt, feel good about it. It didn't really help me in, you know, having my weight down at the doctor's. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I went, uh, went to the doctor and, there was a particular topic that I knew was going to come up and I didn't want it to come up. I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, and to complicate the situation a little bit, my doctor that I'd had for years who was, um, you know, my kids knew his kids in, in elementary school and, uh, he's just about my age, um, was killed in a car crash last summer, mm. shortly before I was supposed to have my annual physical. And so that threw a whole wrench into things. I had to get a new doctor and they were suggesting I could go to this clinic like 10 miles away or this other clinic six, 15 miles away. And I was like, no, I want the one that's two miles from my house in there. And they said, well, we have this at the, by the time I managed to get around to calling, which, you know, is another problem, procrastination here. Uh, there's, they said, well, there's this one doctor is taking patients. I said, well, I guess I'll see this doctor then. <laughs> Uh, so I had no idea. I, I figured it's going to be somebody young because who else is taking patients besides a, a doctor that's building a new practice, right? Um, so I went in, uh, you know, you see the nurse first to get weighed, I got a flu shot, and the nurses tell me, oh, you're going to love Dr. Clark. She's wonderful. Um, and I'm like, well, I hope so. I mean, I didn't say that out loud. Okay. <laughs> it was in my head. Uh, and I do like her. Uh, she's, she seemed pretty knowledgeable, but also willing to admit when she didn't know something. Well, let's go look that up instead of maybe making something up like <laughs> I would do. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so she, basically she sat down and I don't know, I don't think it was quite the first thing she said. She said, we need to talk about your blood pressure. I'm like, yeah, I figured. And then, and then we went and talked about, you know, medical history and all that, getting, getting her up to date. And, and she said, and, and we need to talk about your blood pressure. And I said, well, how about this other thing? You know, this other medication I'm on, we were talking about maybe, you know, switching to a different, a different medication. And so we went into that for a little while. And, and then she said, and now we really need to talk about your blood pressure. I said, well, I, yeah, I guess I'd successfully deflected it twice. And maybe Team avoidance. All I, could, all I could get here. Um, and so the upshot is, and this is very much an acceptance thing that, well, one of the things was she showed me where it was two and a half years ago and where it is now. And it's really dramatically increased in two and a half years and no, no, you know, no explanation. It just has. Uh, so that kind of convinced me that I needed to accept the situation. And so I started on uh, blood pressure medication yesterday. I don't know how it's going yet. Uh, and, and also started 
And here's another avoidance thing. I started taking my blood pressure every morning, uh, which my doctor had suggested after my last physical a year and whatever ago that, you know, your blood pressure is up, but it could be white coat syndrome. So you should, you should take it at home and, and see what it's like at home. And I started taking it at home and it wasn't any better. So I stopped taking it. You know, I don't want to know, right? <laughs> Team avoidance, don't want to know. Um, and so it was it, it was a good lesson for me in there are some things that just are. I have to accept that they are, and, and then, then I can make decisions about what to do. But if I don't accept that my blood pressure is up and it's up near the, like, really high range, that if I don't accept that, I'm not going to do anything about it and I am going to have consequences and I can't let the, the fear of the potential. It was really the fear of being labeled. I did not want to have that label. Mm. I didn't want to have to check that box. that says hypertension on the, on the, on the sheet when I go into the doctor's office. I don't want to, you know, but the reality is that's where I am. And, Mm. and I can accept it even while I don't like it. And I can accept that I need to do something. And so we're going to try this medication for a month. I'm going to go back. We're going to see where things are. Uh, of course, first thing that happened is last night I ran into a friend who said, oh, you should take cinnamon. Take a teaspoon of cinnamon every morning, and that will bring your blood pressure down. I'm like, really? This sounds like that thing that, that kids try to do and, you know, that challenge that they, you know, eat a teaspoon of cinnamon without any water and, and like you just can't do it apparently, and they like throw up and all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, this doesn't sound good. <laughs> um, I didn't say any of that, but I thought, no, I'm committed to this particular course of action for a month. Uh, and at the end of the month, we're going to reevaluate. I'm going to I'm going to know what the effects of this drug are on me because there's there's a lot of potential side effects, and they, they hit everybody differently. Um, we're going to see what effect it had on my blood pressure. Maybe at that point I can, I can choose to try another therapy or not, but, but not right now. <laughs> not when I'm just getting started on this one thing. I'm not going to suddenly jump the track. So yeah, that, that's, um, how recovery can work in all parts of my life. Sounds like you were paying attention last week, Spencer. You just, you worked the three A's on that, uh, I absolutely did issue. work the three A's on it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I then you, some... you set a boundary for yourself around giving it one month. That's good. Yes, yes. it's true too. So. Program extraordinaire, Spencer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> principles, not personalities. How was your week, Jonah? My week was, I was going to say it was up and down, but it was actually down and then up. So I guess that's good. Uh, last weekend, I went to a program retreat and... It was wonderful and also extremely, extremely difficult. Um, it just really brought a lot of really intense stuff up for me that has been, you know, has kind of been bubbling under the surface and sometimes above the surface, but it really just exploded. Um, and it was good. It was exactly what I needed. So I came back from that and just kind of melted down a little bit. <laughs> and then just uh, kind of flipped a switch in my mind about um, starting to take a little more agency in my life right now. Um, so what we were talking about, always having choices. So 
I may not like, I think we were talking about this for somebody else, but it also applies <laughs> to ourselves. So we may not like what, I'm going to say this for Swetha, what our choice set looks like. <laughs> um, but we always do have choices and, and you know, how are we going to make the best ones for ourselves? Um, so, so since then it's been, you know, it's been a good week. I've really been trying to live that. Um, I talked about this at the meeting on Friday, but I've been employing this new, I guess I would call it a strategy for myself. So when I have to make a decision or take an action and I'm not sure about it, I ask myself, am I choosing suffering or am I choosing self-care? And um, as I said the other day, I am about to choose suffering a shocking <laughs> amount of the time. Um, but by asking myself that, more of the time I can choose self-care um, and also think through what self-care might look like for myself in that moment. Um, I also went to meditation on Thursday and every time I go, I I know that I need to just keep doing more of it. I feel so good every single time. So I need to not make excuses on Thursdays. <laughs> Although, this is Spencer, I wasn't saying that the gym was an excuse. I think if I could go to the gym, that would be really good. <laughs> no, I, I it, it was very much a conscious choice on my part. I, it was one or the other. Yeah, I mean, choosing between two self-care options. Um, it seems like you can't go wrong. Yeah, and, right. And it's it's a question for each of us: which, what's the important thing for me? Yeah, in, in that moment, in, in absolutely. Right so yes, so more meditation. I'm going to say on the air that I am committing to more meditation, but I think that I need to come up with some kind of structure or schedule or something because it's hard to just say. I'm going to do this more. And then, mm -hmm. you know, things just come up. And um, so I need to figure out some kind of way to commit to something really tangible. Like I'm going to sit for 20 minutes, three times a week or whatever it is. And even, even maybe write the days down so that it's just a little more, um, it leaves less room for avoidance. <laughs> I really liked that she suggested that it's important to have a space Mm -hmm. where you keep your meditation things at all times. Like they yeah. need a space in your home. And, and that's not what, you know, what I do is pack it all up and put it in a closet. Right. And so it, it makes it, um, you know, she was just kind of talking about like the awareness of seeing that space in the corner and like recognizing like, this is, this is important to me. This is an important part of my life. And instead of hiding it away, I thought that was really helpful. Yeah. I liked that too. And she also talked about, um, as part of creating that space, getting the things that you need for that space. Mm -hmm. And somebody was also mentioning this to me the other day. I said, oh, I really want to buy a meditation cushion, but I don't want to spend the money on it. They're, you know, they're kind of ridiculously expensive and I have all these pillows at home. <laughs> and, and he, this friend said, you know, I felt like when I committed to making this purchase of this nice meditation pillow that I was also committing to meditate oh. more. Mm. Um, and so I don't know, I guess if whatever that it takes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but I yeah. think it's true. Like if the, I guess because in, in the decision to make the purchase, I'm also making the decision to invest more in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's something I need to do. The other thing that I think about, and when you actually, Kelly, when you're talking about uh, your time on the treadmill <laughs> yesterday, 
or this morning, whenever it was this morning. Both. Yeah. And, (laughs) and sort of, (laughs) you know, the thoughts that came to you. I mean, that, that can be a different way of meditating if you, Mm. um, I mean, when I was on the treadmill yesterday afternoon, I was watching the, the uh, Michigan Minnesota football game. That's a form of meditation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, and, and it really is, it's sort of a, a snare at, at our gym because all the treadmills and everything are facing this wall of TVs. And so there's always something that can, that will catch my eye. Right. Um, but I can get into a state where I'm just sort of letting thoughts flow. Um, which to me is, is, is a form of a meditative state. Mm. Sometimes I can get there when I'm walking. Um, if I'm not as my, uh, frequent habit is if I'm not trying to fill my fill my mind with something so that I don't have to be there with myself. And I guess that's the point of meditation is yeah. is I'm not listening to a podcast. I'm not uh, thinking about work. I'm not, uh, which certainly can happen. You guys are really inspiring me to go to the gym. I think I'm going to go today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also have been reading this book on meditation, and one of the things that he said was, you know, you don't have to do, he says, do what works for you, but don't feel you have to do it in a particular posture or with Mm. particular equipment or in a particular place. Uh, What's really more important is that you do it. (laughs) I'm like, Mm. okay, I can get that. I could sit in the, my wife actually set up a space upstairs (laughs) uh, that uh, it's, it's sort of an attic space. We have the, the third floor of our house is a converted attic uh, and, uh, and so there's a space that still is kind of atticky with the low ceiling coming, sloping really down sharply. And, but there's space in there for a rocking chair and a little table and stuff. And, uh, that's actually where I go to take my blood pressure in the morning. It's a nice quiet space and I'm not going to disturb her if she's still asleep in the bed. Um, and she set that up as a meditation space and I don't, you know, I don't know how much she uses it. I know I haven't used it much. Hmm. Um, I prefer, I prefer when I can to be outside. Mm. Um, there's a, you know, there's this phase of meditation, which is sort of getting out of myself and being in nature helps me to recognize the smallness of me, um, get through that, um, gate of humility to letting go of myself. Oh, well, we need to move on. I think unless, uh, there's more to say. Yeah. Anything else on your week, Jonah? Nothing else on my week. Good. Okay. So our topic next week will be chaos. In we, contrast to meditation. Huh? Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about chaos. And some prompt questions we have are, why do we codependents create chaos? Why do addicts create chaos? How can we find islands of serenity within chaos? So if you have thoughts on those questions or... Any other thoughts you have, please send us your feedback. And uh, Spencer, how can people do that? I got to say, I think that's going to be a fun topic. It's also going to be probably hard. But, uh, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can do that right now. You can uh, hit the pause button and call us, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. 
If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. Both the phone number and the email address are on the website. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topics, uh, today's topic of setting boundaries without controlling, or next week's topic of chaos. If you have a new topic that you'd like to, us to talk about, let us know. And I'll tell you, we're getting a lot of our topics from people's suggestions. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah, we appreciate it. It sort of it. helps us to, to pick from our list of, I don't know how many. Uh, hey, Jonah, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of open talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. There are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. For example, you can leave comments on the blog. Uh, If you're inspired or ambitious, you can think about contributing a guest meditation or a meditation prompt, usually a quote or song lyric. If you would like the meditations emailed to you daily, click on the email button at the top right corner of the page to sign up, uh, or just hop over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Hey, Kelly, do we have any voicemails, emails, or comments this week? (laughs) Uh, Yes, we do. We have several. But first, we're going to listen to a song called I Can Change, and it's by LCD Sound System. And I heard this song when I was driving the other day, and it seemed like the epitome of uh, the opposite of this topic. Um, Some of the lyrics are, I can change, I can change if that helps you fall in love, which to me seemed like um, trying to control the relationship through a lack of boundaries. So enjoy.
have a bunch of uh, comments and emails this week. We got a, a comment on the website from Beth. She said, Spencer, thanks a million for posting this most excellent vi video of Jerma, Jack, and Barry performing the Hesitation Blues. So that's on last week's episode, the um, episode 43, three A's. Yeah, uh, it really hit the spot. I also got so much out of the Recovered podcast on grief. That was also last week, Recovered number 445, I think. Um, I came away with some very good suggestions on how program tools can be there for me in my loss. By sharing their story, Mark and Anna reinforced my heartfelt belief that none of us is alone anymore if we look to each other for encouragement. Spencer, Kelly, Swetha, and guests, thank you so much for this podcast. Your service is truly appreciated. May you be repaid tenfold in your own growth as a result of the love you've shared. Peace. And then we have another email from Mama Serenity. Dear Spencer, Kelly, and Swetha, I found your podcast this spring just days after I discovered my husband had relapsed into his addictions and just as I returned to regular meetings after a 10-year absence. Your experience, strength, and hope have helped me as I get ready in the morning, as I drive to work, as I take long walks, many long walks, <laughs> and particularly on days that work and family commitments keep me from attending a meeting. This week's episode on awareness, acceptance, and action was especially important to me because I am living with an active addict struggling with personal pain and health issues. So Spencer, I especially appreciated what you shared about living with an active alcoholic. I have wanted to run, to separate, to ease the discomfort, and fast. The last time I was active in recovery, my husband was working a program. That appeared to make things so much easier. So in retrospect, I didn't completely get what it meant to be powerless, to accept, to wait before action, to allow someone else his higher power. Back then, I moved quickly toward action, planning our therapy, our meetings, etc. I stopped going to meetings because he was better. <laughs> Obviously, how I did it last time didn't work for me. This time, I am not pushing someone else's recovery, but it has been killing me not knowing what to do for myself, because honestly, living with an active addict is kicking my ass. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Not knowing what the right thing to do for my child is. Meetings and calls on your podcast have helped me make it one day at a time. When I heard the podcast yesterday, I needed to be reminded that I will know when I know as my desire to rush to action, though with no clear, peaceful direction, was overwhelming me. So I am sitting in acceptance today as I put one foot in front of the other and try to avoid making rash decisions that will negatively affect my life, my child, my finances, my family. I am more aware than ever before that recovery is my work, regardless of what my loved one chooses to do. I am so grateful for that. Thank you for the reminder and thank you for providing opportunities for healing for your listeners. In gratitude, thank you, Mama Serenity. And... You know, I didn't pick this up when I read this the first time, but uh, this taking action with no clear, rush to action with no clear peaceful direction reminds me of the expression uh, of somebody rushing off madly in all directions. Um, and I've certainly done that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I wrote back, I said, Dear Mama, what you were going through is one of the hardest things I've done in my life. As I said on the podcast, I used all the tools I had available. Some days that was sufficient, and some days I was taking a minute at a time. And then there were the days I don't know how I got through. I just did because I had to. My experience says that you can do it. The program provided me a way to live in the chaos, uncertainty, fear, and anger long enough to find acceptance of what was and to find the clarity of mind to know what was the right action for me. For me, that action was to stay in my marriage. That decision was a leap of faith and a declaration of hope. 
faith that my higher power would sustain me in the time to come, whatever happened, hope that change was possible and that my wife could one day find sobriety and health. Being able to live in hope without expectations is a gift that the program gave to me. Um, I talked about the, the grief episode and uh, where Mark uh, said at one point to Anna, there is hope, and Anna says, how? And he says something like, we can carry the message of our experience to others and give them the strength to get through the loss and grief in their lives. And, and that he is able to find that, that good and that hope in such a tragic event is a real miracle, I think, in my opinion. Um, and I uh, talked about carrying the message on, and then and she wrote back. Maybe you could read that, Kelly. Sure. Spencer, thank you for the quick and giving reply. I appreciate it so very, very much. Indeed, I believe I need to focus on the what is and take the leap of faith for myself about myself. You put it well. I get in my crazy, I get in my crazy and sad when I wonder if my husband went to a meeting, when I hope for his recovery, his bottom. I have read every meditation on detachment in one day at a time in Al-Anon. It becomes painfully hard when the selfishness and self-centeredness that is addiction is sitting at the kitchen table every day. Absolutely. Well, I ended up in the driveway yesterday during the blessed dog walk, praying to just like him again. And here's the deal. We are going through a huge, big pile of mess, and it isn't the bottom. Relapse, discovery, joblessness, cancer, insurance mess, and there has been no powerlessness, no surrender. All of this between the months of April and September. The HP is sending huge messages. For me, it means that, wow, if that doesn't help him along, I sure can't. Thank you for the grief podcast suggestion. I will listen to it for sure. I am in mourning and some PTSD recovery. I also listen to the Recovery Network podcasts with AA and Al-Anon speakers. Love those too. I have truly appreciated when you talk about your kids and your relationship because I often wonder how growing up in a house with secrets and tension will affect my child. My husband hides his addictions, though the energy is in the house and our child has seen me upset and sees the emotional distance between us. My therapist reminds me that my child's experience will be different than mine was growing up because I am awake, my family of origin is not. I talk to my child about what I learned in the untethered soul. I ask, who are you? My child answers me. I ask, what can you control? And the answer is me. Amen. Which brings me to topic suggestions. One, how to speak to young children about codependence and addiction, whether they live with an active addict or it runs in the family. What beyond attempting to model healthy behavior can you say? How best to say it depending on age group, eight and under, nine and above, teens? I have looked for books appropriate for my nearly 10-year-old and haven't seen any. Tell her to go to meetings. I tell her I go to meetings that help me be a better mom and a healthier, happy person. And Spencer, I don't know, on that front, did you respond about any Alateen literature? Um, no, I just, I don't remember what I responded, actually. I feel like the Alateen literature is at least sort of guided towards that younger age group. Yeah, I haven't read any 12, of it myself. 12 and up, I think. But. Yeah. Um, the second topic suggestion is intuition and aha moments. Maybe you've done one on this and I missed it, but in the last few years I felt something was off, but attributed it to middle-aged malaise, the exhaustion of being parents, the overwork and worry, threat of layoffs we were living with, etc. When I discovered this spring he had been acting out and drinking secretly, it all made sense. What a relief. There had been some clues along the way, but I didn't pay attention because it wasn't convenient. I didn't want to blow up my marriage and my life. 
The first time around back in 1998, my gut screamed at me to figure it out. It was almost magical how easy it was to unravel the mystery. I know I was guided then, and I know what ignoring the messages are like. It's like being a little crazy and so disconnected from truth. Third topic suggestion is, so what? My former sponsor sponsor likes to answer a lot with, so what? I love that. Could be hilarious and insightful conversation. And Spencer, you said that's kind of similar to how important is it? That was my thought. Yeah. That it's like yeah. how the, the slogan, how important is it? It's yeah. just a little different attitude. Yes. And then the fourth topic suggestion is living with an active addict. Have you done that one specifically? And we have not. But we have talked about it. Yes. Um, and I, I was looking at, at my response and I said something like, I don't think any of us have good ideas about speaking to young children. Uh, we would have to reach out to the community. Our, our recovery community to find people who have that experience, have, yeah. who, who have suggestions. Uh, you know, my children were 11 when I came into the program and they were very resistant to anything, <laughs> whether it was therapy meetings or whatever. Right. Um, so I don't have any good experience to share there for sure, but you know, we do have, uh, friends who, who do have young children and, and maybe they have some good ideas. Yeah. We could do some interviews or maybe another round table. Um, we also got an email from Natalie. Jonah, do you want to read that one? Sure. Um, I believe that this is what uh, motivated next week's topic. Um, Natalie says, I'm new to Al-Anon and I'm finding listening to your podcasts very helpful between meetings. One suggestion for a topic might be chaos. I'm finding Al-Anon helpful for relief of anxiety about real chaos and manufactured chaos. That's a great distinction. Mm -hmm. Why do we codependents create chaos? Why do addicts create chaos? How do we find islands of serenity within chaos? I have a hunch that this relates to healthy boundaries and awareness, but I'm just taking baby steps in examining this more fully. This topic might be especially valuable with upcoming holidays, family <laughs> gatherings, and triggers. Thanks for all you do, Natalie. Yeah, and, and actually the meditation I wrote yesterday kind of touches on the holiday question. Might take a look. Uh, Barb sent us some music suggestions. She sent us a bunch of music suggestions. Thanks, Barb. Hey, Mr. Spencer, haven't heard from me lately, but I hear from y'all. <laughs> Download podcasts and read the meditations when I can. Uh, work's busy. Uh, bless you guys for your service. I've grown to love each of your regulars very much. Barbara. So she suggests, Heaven is Here on Earth by Tracy Chapman. So much in this song about having hope and faith that things could be better. I think the video is inspiring. Laughing with Regina Spector, the line, No one's laughing at God when it's gotten real late and their kid's not back from that party yet really got to me. <laughs> Wow. That's why I have a home group on Friday night. Those were the worst <laughs> nights of the week for a long mm. time. Uh, I didn't know my own strength, Whitney Houston, the whole damn thing. Quote, I was not built to break, quote, end quote. The only way through it is to go through it. I swear the setting boundaries experience that are most real for me have been just like that ubiquitous metaphor of footsteps in the sand. For some reason, the person I was setting the boundary with believed me, even when I sure didn't. There might be a better video. Uh, Joy, Betty Levette, again, you may find a better video. In a way, it's the cry of the geographic solution, but I also think of Joy as a motivation for change for any of us. Uh, and God Rests in Reason, Jason Mraz, this is usually a wedding song, but I like the Khalil Gibran in it. Real love always involves respect of boundaries. So a lot of these are about boundaries. I just, I didn't even pick that up when I read this first time. Love Interruption, Jack White, Go Big or Go Home. <laughs> yeah, that one. Man, that's a... I'm sensitive jewel. We are all everyday angels. 
lots of suggestions. We will work them in. Uh, you can bet. And then I had another music suggestion from Laura. Laura suggests Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. Um, she says, I met with my sponsor tonight to work on my step two. Answering the questions in Paths to Recovery was very illuminating for me. We discussed my great aversion to change. It literally terrifies me. I walked out of the coffee shop and got in my car, turned on the radio, and part of the song that starts with, well, I've been afraid of changing because I built my life around you was playing. My breath caught in my throat. It was truly a higher power moment. Mm, that's a great one. Yeah, thanks, Laura. So those of you who are regular listeners may remember Swetha coming up with the acronym AFRO, uh, another effing recovery opportunity <laughs> uh, in a recent episode. And uh, and we've had a couple of responses to that. Uh, Carla says, lol, love it. Thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Okay. And we had no new iTunes reviews this week, but iTunes reviews and ratings help to make us easier to find by those who are in need and seeking recovery. If you're concerned about anonymity, you can give us a rating without writing a review and your identity will not be shown. And we are looking forward to our first anniversary podcast at the beginning of December. Yay, we've made it a year almost. Congrats, you guys. And... um. We thought an interesting idea for uh, the anniversary episode would be to include as many of your voicemails and stories as possible. So kind of a collaboration of first step talks, if you will. Um, the topic will be my story. And we want to hear your story in five to 10 minutes to be included in the podcast. So how you can share your story, we have several ways. You guys can send us an email and we'll have someone read it for you. Um, apparently five to 10 minutes is about 500, 2000 words. That's a guideline I got from, from a minister. Okay. <laughs> All right. You can also call the voicemail number, which is 734-707-8795. And you can tell your story three minutes at a time. So it does have a three minute cutoff. So you just have to call back and remember <laughs> where you left off. Um, you can use the voicemail button on the website and tell, oh, tell your story 90 seconds at a time. Yikes. <laughs> Getting tricky, Spencer. Yeah, that one. That one, though. You if you you record it and then b before you hit send, you can decide whether you liked what you recorded and and it's got a little like meter thing that shows you how much time you've got left. So uh -huh. that's a little easier maybe than the voicemail because you get a chance to do over and and you get some warning about when you're running out of time. Okay. Um, we could arrange for you to Skype with one of us and record your story uh, through the computer that way. Um. And then you can also, this one seems like maybe one of the easiest options. Put it at you, the top instead of the bottom. You, yeah. <laughs> you can record your voice using your smartphone. Um, there's a voice memo on iPhone, for example. And you can just email that to us or share it via an online service like Dropbox. Um, however you do it, we, we really would love to include your story in our first anniversary podcast. And we've got a couple weeks to think about it. So if you're on the fence... Take some time. Ask your sponsor. Um, in a couple months almost. And, uh, yeah, and send us your story. Also, you can listen live as we are recording. Just click on the Listen Live link at the top of the page. While listening, you can interact with us and other listeners in the chat room. To get there, click on the little speech bubble at the bottom edge of the player. And we are planning to record our next episode on Sunday at 10 a.m., Sunday, the date, I don't have a calendar in front of me. No, today's the 6th, oh, so it would be the 13th. 13th. 
And also, we have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page on the website. If you order one of these books through Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, you can order anything from Amazon using the search box at the bottom of the books page. I did this the other day. I bought a lovely new pair of boots for fall and gave us a commission. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. Great, and we are going to close the show with a song called You've Got to Show by the Indigo Girls. This is one of their older songs, and I chose this because it's uh, really about meeting your partner halfway, um, setting boundaries without controlling, just stating your own personal needs. Yes, it's true, I've gotten very moody over you Don't think I don't sense your caution way across the room Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Jesus you